Well, Psalm 32, we're uh, going to be continuing our series on what it means to be blessed. And we're looking especially at the Psalms, but we'll branch out in the coming weeks from the Psalms to think about what does the Bible tell us about being blessed? You know, people use that word blessed a lot in our day and time. We are often, as I mentioned last week, greeted uh, wished that we would have a blessed day. Well, what does the Bible say? It is, it mean, what does it mean to be blessed according to Scripture? That's what we're interested in. And we've looked at Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 that talk about the one who is blessed, uh, who doesn't walk in the way of sinners or, or stand in the seat of uh, the, the wicked uh, but is, and, and sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and he meditates on it day and night. And Psalm 2 that tells us that blessed are all who take refuge in him. So we want to be those people who listen to God's word and delight in it. We want to be those people who take refuge in Christ. And today, as we look at Psalm 32, we want to be those people who know what it means to be justified, to be forgiven, to be cleansed. And we'll explore what that means here in Psalm 32 as we read God's holy, inspired and an errant and infallible word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, the word blessed that we've been looking at, sometimes translated happy, which seems a bit trite. Why would you, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about happiness in our lives and want to be happy. And uh, what that means is, is as varied as the number of people on the face of the earth. But what does the Bible say about being blessed, being happy? The word means to advance, to, to grow, to prosper, to be all that you can be, to flourish. What does it mean to, to flourish and to really be fulfilled and happy in God's sight? Well, the only way that we can truly be happy, as we've explored over the last couple of weeks, is to be in a close relationship with the Lord. You can't be in a close relationship with the Lord while harboring sin. It's, it's impossible. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 59... The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. 
and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. There was a wedding here yesterday, and, uh, and I had the privilege of, of conducting that wedding. That's when we have these beautiful arrangements here. Uh, but uh, we had the rehearsal uh, on Friday night and rehearsal, rehearsal dinner over at uh, the Yacht Club in Gulfport. And it was really a, uh, a, a lovely evening, and, and of course there's a nice view out there of the, the harbor where the ships are docked. And of course a harbor is a place where you park your, your boat, park your ship. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about that as I uh, contemplated this psalm this week. Uh, I, I kept coming back to that term, harboring sin. What does it mean to harbor sin? It means you've, you've got sin parked in your heart. Now, I love reading about the Napoleonic Wars, uh, especially the British Navy around 1800. And these guys would be on these ships and travel across the uh, ocean, Atlantic, Pacific, Indian Ocean, uh, amazing travels, but you'd be a long time on a sailing ship going across the ocean. And when these, these men who were all on this ship together crammed in there, when they would get to a harbor, a port, well, you know, that, that was just inviting trouble. They would get off the ship and raise all kinds of ruckus with uh, bars and prostitutes and things you'd only want to mention. Notorious for that sort of thing. Well, sin is that way. If we harbor sin, we're inviting all kinds of problems into our lives. And if we want to be truly happy and blessed, we cannot harbor sin. The Bible tells us in Romans that, that uh, David wrote this. And so I want to look at three things this morning as we contemplate this psalm. We want to look at first David's experience, and then we want to look at David's Savior, and then finally David's instructions. Well, first we see David's experience. Now, this psalm, uh, we don't know the circumstances of it. It doesn't tell us the circumstances of it, but we can deduce, and, and it's probably a, a safe to say that we should uh, interpret this psalm in connection with the events in David's life uh, with Bathsheba and Uriah, her husband, the Hittite. We, we read about that in 2 Samuel 11. Uh, David, in the spring of the year, when... Kings go out to battle. We find David not out in battle as he should be, but he's in his palace and he's on the rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, bathing. And he's filled with lust. And he, he uh, inquires of her and he gets her to come to the palace and he commits adultery with her. And then, of course, she gets pregnant. And so he tries to cover his sin. And he gets her husband Uriah the Hittite, who is out fighting the battle, to come back and he's trying to make it look like he's the father of this child. But Uriah will have nothing to do with it because he says, my, 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 my mates, my friends, my fellow soldiers are out there fighting and I'm not going to come home and just enjoy my wife uh, while they're out you know, striving and, and fighting for the kingdom. And so that scheme of David fails, and so then he conspires to have Uriah murdered. And it seems that he is just moving along in his life after these events, after adultery, after conspiracy to murder, until Nathan the prophet shows up one day and confronts him with his sin, and David is found out. And verse 3 here in Psalm 32 reflects that. 
When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. So David is looking at this uh, post-confession, post-forgiveness. And he looks at himself and he recognizes the state that he has gotten himself into. One wonders if, if he actually understood the misery that he had, that he had devolved into when he enter, entered this life of sin, this adultery and then murder. Once he is confronted with the sin and once he confesses the sin to the Lord and, and he experiences God's forgiveness, then he recognizes how miserable he was. And I want you to think about that today. Are you a happy person? Are you truly a happy person? If the answer to that is no, then it could be that you are harboring sin in your life and you don't realize how miserable it's making you. When we harbor sin in our lives, when we allow it to sit there and we allow it to park there and, and, and just kind of foment there, it just slowly sinks us into misery. And that's what David is talking about. He was groaning, really. He was miserable. His, God's hand was heavy upon him and, and thankful that it was. Maybe the reason you're not happy is God is trying to get your attention. He's trying to show you something. You know, we often blame our unhappiness on people or circumstances. You know, people talk to me and they complain sometimes about other people and, uh, or their circumstances. And certainly we can have difficult circumstances in our lives and difficult people in our lives. But what does the Lord's Prayer say? It says, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us or trespass against us or sin against us. We'll look at those words in a moment. We, when we take the focus on the other, off the other person and turn it on ourselves, then, then we can forgive. Then we can let it go. And I wonder sometimes if we're like David and we just don't recognize how miserable we really are. And maybe that is the source of the unhappiness in your life. We tend to think that uh, if we could just fix this or that or the other or that person or, or that situation, then everything would, would be good, be happy. But really we need to look inward at our own sin. So David's experience, he's sharing that with us in this psalm. And, and he's, this psalm is one of just joy and exuberance because what he has experienced, this, this silence, this, this uh, holding it in and, and hiding his sin was making him miserable. He realizes it and now he's just overflowing with joy and relief. A burden has been taken away from him. And he wants to share it with the world. And he, he pins this psalm, Psalm 32. And this psalm really does point us to the Savior. You'll notice there in verse 5, you know, verse 3 and 4 tell us how miserable he was. Verse 5 tells us what he did in response to the misery. I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. What we need to see there uh, about that is 
when he was confronted with his sin by Nathan the prophet, he did not just say, oh, well, you know what, I'm going to really try harder to do better in the future. No, he went to the Lord. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover it. I went to the Lord. I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. When we are confronted with our sin, we need to do like David did. Not, try, not, not enter into a, a, a self-improvement uh, scheme, but to go to the Lord. Why should we go to the Lord? Well, there's a number of reasons given to us here. The Apostle Paul picks this text up in Romans chapter 4, and, he, and he's uh, helping us understand what it means to be justified by faith and what the Lord has done to save us from our sins. And he uses the example of Abraham. And he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sins. So he holds up David as an example of someone who went to the Lord and found justification. He found righteousness by faith. He was declared righteous before God's sight because God cleansed him. Now look here, we've got kind of some parallels here in these first two verses when David joyfully sings about this forgiveness that he's experienced. Four words for sin and four words for what God does for him. Not quite four words, but I'll explain that in a moment. Well, first, there's four words for sin that he shares. The first word is transgression. It literally means a going away or a departure or a rebellion. He had rebelled against God and God's authority in his life, and he confessed that. How have we rebelled against God's authority? Are we listening to his word, Psalm 1, delighting in the law of the Lord? Are we listening to what God has told us how we should live our lives? Every time we depart from that, it's a rebellion against God and his word. The second word for sin, is, uh, the second word that he uses there for our sin is the word sin, translated the word sin. And it, it means uh, coming short, falling short, you know, missing the mark. And it was an archery term that describes a person who shoots at a target but whose arrow falls short. That would be me. You know, I'm, I'm a terrible shot. Uh, I go hunting every year with my family uh, members and and uh, I'm, I'm known as the worst hunter out there, uh, generally. But I'm getting better. It's good. I miss the mark quite a lot. So I, I have plenty of time, as I think about that illustration, to dwell on my own sin. You know, I miss that pheasant, and it's just like me missing the mark of God's law. I fall far short of it often. Well, that's the, the term that's used here. Sin is falling short. It's missing the mark of God's law. And then the third word is iniquity. And that word iniquity uh, means corrupt or twisted or crooked. The, our sin twists us. It makes us crooked. It, it puts us out of, out of kilter with what God has designed us to be. 
And then finally the word deceit. The word in him there is no deceit. So sin brings deceit into your heart. And that word deceit is, is actually the word for a bowstring that isn't tight. You know, back to the archery term. You know, you've got to have a, a really tight bowstring for the arrow to shoot any distance. And this is the word that means slackness. And what he's talking about is when, when, you're, when you harbor sin in your heart, the heart is not operating at, optimal, at its optimal pace. It's a, a lack of circumspection. It's a sloppiness with the truth. And you see it in David's life. He, he, he allowed that first sin to come in, and then he became sloppy with the rest, you know. He, he allowed himself to commit adultery, and then it was no far distance to, to commit murder. You know, he became less circumspect. He was deceived. Well, four actions of God in response to our sin. And I hope that as we, you think about those terms and how David layers these terms upon us about sin, that we see our own sin. We see that we miss the mark. We see that we fall short. We see that, that uh, we are going in the opposite direction of the way God designed us to be. We see that we rebel against God. God requires holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But we can't make ourselves holy. And that's the beauty of this psalm. And that's why Paul picks it up in Romans 4 to show that you can't. You can't earn God's favor by your works. You need God to do something to you. Well, first he has to forgive our transgressions. And that word means to have our sin lifted off. It's like the picture of a great burden being lifted off our backs. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you've ever come to that place where you had a sense of your sin and it was a burden to you, you went to the Lord, you confessed it to him, and it was just like a weight was lifted off of you. Have you ever had that experience? Believers should have had that experience, that experience of forgiveness. He also uses the term covered, the second term. Our, our sin is covered, and that's a, a religious term. It refers to the Day of Atonement from the Old Testament. On that Day of Atonement, the high priest would take blood from an animal that had been sacrificed at the temple, and he would carry it into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. The mercy seat was the lid or covering of the ark. You know what was contained inside the ark? It was a box. God's law was in there. So this blood covered the top of the ark where the law... So between the law and God was this covering of the blood of the sacrifice, the sacrifice of atonement. And so when God looked down upon the sacrifice, when he looked down upon uh, the, the representative for the people, he did not see the broken law. He just sees the blood of the, the sacrifice. In the Greek, the word is propitiation. And we've talked about here that in the last month or so here. A sacrifice of atonement, the, uh, a sacrifice that turns aside God's wrath and the punishment that we deserve. So covered. When we come to the Lord, we can have our sins covered through what Christ has done. He is that propitiation. He is that sacrifice of atonement that takes away the sin of the world. 
And then the third one, he uh, says that uh, our sin or our iniquities are not counted against us. He does not count the sin against us. The word might, if you use a theological term, is the word impute, reckoned or counted or credited to you. And the one who comes to the Lord, his, the sin is not credited to you. It is laid upon Christ. Your iniquities are not counted against you. Only God can do that. Only Christ can, can pay the penalty for our sin. And when we put our trust in him, he takes that sin, it's credited to him, and all his righteousness is credited to us. And when God the Father looks at us, he sees a holy people for himself. And then the final word that God does, that we need God to do to cleanse us from our sins, uh, is this one. He, he, he uh, blesses the one who has no deceit, uh, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now there's no word there. It just means that it, it's not there anymore. He takes away the deceit, the deceit that is in the heart. He floods the soul with truth. And see, what David experienced when, when he went to the Lord and he had his sins forgiven, he saw things clearly. He says, you know what? I was a miserable wretch because of this sin that I had gotten into, and now I see clearly, now I see it clearly, how bad I had let things get because of my sinfulness. And so he's got this burden lifted. He sees clearly. Uh, he has, he has uh, had his sins covered and his, his, his transgressions are not counted against him. And so his joy is full and overflowing and he is happy. He is blessed and he is singing about it. Psalm 51, of course, I think is an earlier psalm than this, but referring to the same event. Psalm 51 is his prayer of confession. And in Psalm 51, he says this, his prayer to God as he confesses his sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And of course, that's what he's talking about having experienced here in Psalm 32. But verse 13 says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. And Psalm 32 is David doing what he's saying he's going to do right here in Psalm 51. I will teach transgressor, transgressors the, your ways and sinners will return to you. So we look now to David's instruction. What is David telling us to do? At least two things, two direct commandments here. Verse 6, Therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. A mistake that many people make is that they think I can confess my sins to the Lord any old time I please, any time I choose. I, I can do that at my convenience whenever I feel like it. Well, David says, no, you should do it immediately at a time when the Lord may be found because there may come a time in the not-too-distant future when God may not be found. It may be too late for you. I'm not trying to pressure you, but I want you to understand 
that if you want to get out of your misery and be happy and enjoy God's blessing, you can't do that while harboring sin. And now is the day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the time to, to confess your, your iniquities, your sins to the Lord, your transgressions to Him, and let Him cover them and forgive them and remove them and wash and cleanse and do all that work that, that Christ died to do. So now is the time. And he assures us in the next phrases, surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. And that's when we sang, Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly while the near waters roll, while the tempest is nigh. You know, the, the flood will not reach you if you are finding your refuge in him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Deliverance from sin. See, David is happy because of the deliverance that he experiences. And then the second thing that he instructs us in verse 8 and 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. So don't be stubborn in your sin. A, first, he said, don't delay in confessing your sin. Secondly, don't be stubborn about it. Don't be stubborn in your sin. Sometimes we have sin in our lives that we just don't think we can live without. That, that if, if we let that thing go, then our life wouldn't be worth living. And we don't realize how miserable it is making us. I want you to think about that today. and Think about what David is instructing you. He did that. He had sin in his life and he was clinging to it. He was clinging to Bathsheba. And he was doing everything to, to preserve his kingdom and, and his, his reputation and so forth. And it was making him miserable. So we should run quickly to the Lord. And don't be stubborn. Don't, don't be stupid. That's what David's saying. Don't be like me. I was stupid. I was like a, like a mule, like a horse who needed a bit. And Nathan had to come and knock me in the head and put the truth right in front of my face so that I would come back to the Lord. And then he underlines that in verse 10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Which would you rather have? Sorrows or steadfast love? I mean, that's a no-brainer, isn't it? Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. See, again, bursting full of the joy of forgiveness. I pray that everyone here today would experience the joy of forgiveness. But call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. The Lord's arm is not so short that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. You may think he's way off somewhere else, but he is right here. He is ready to answer your prayer. He is ready to hear your confession. Well, this was St. Augustine's favorite psalm. And he said, Happy are those who recognize that they are not righteous and who know what to do about it. 
David instructs us what to do about it here in Psalm 32. He actually, on his deathbed, Augustine, uh, as he lay there dying, he had this psalm written on the wall next to his bed so he could meditate on it in his last days and rejoice in the forgiveness and the assurance that it gave him that the Lord indeed had forgiven his sins and cleansed him from all iniquity. May we all enjoy that same joy and blessedness that comes from being forgiven and justified by God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do come to you, and as we did earlier, we confess that we're sinners. I pray, Lord, that we would see our sin in all of its ugliness and the misery that it causes us, and most of all, to see the offensiveness that, that it has to you. Lord, we pray that you would break our hearts. May we mourn for our sin. And may you, you shower us with your forgiving grace and the grace to change. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.